All right. Mm -hmm. This is this is Jeff. Uh, this is uh, what is it? Our fourth installment of reading with Randos uh, on the book "A Grief Observed" by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan, and I have not read as much C.S. Lewis as I would like to, but I'm working on that. I'm Cassidy. I'm also a huge C.S. Lewis fan. Um, but uh, yeah, just thought I'd join in on this conversation. <laughs> I am uh, Kalepa or Caleb. Um, I'm not uh, hugely versed on C.S. Lewis, but I, uh, I am very intrigued by his writings and uh, especially on this subject. So I decided to uh, try to tap in and get as much as I can from this. I am Job. Uh, I'm warming up to C.S. Lewis. Let's just call it that. <laughs> it took a while. Um, I think I can just read the paragraph like usual that we finished on last time and then we'll go into the next one. Sounds good. Keeping promises to the dead or to anyone else is very well. But I begin to see that respect for the wishes of the dead is a trap. Yesterday, I stopped myself only in time from saying about some trifle, age would never like that. This is unfair to the others. I should soon be using what age would have liked as an instrument of domestic tyranny with her supposed likings becoming a thinner and thinner disguise for my own. Mm -hmm. Then the next paragraph is, I cannot talk to the children about her. The moment I try, there appears on their faces neither grief, nor love, nor fear, nor pity, but the most fatal of all non-conductors, embarrassment. They look as if I were committing an indecency. They are longing for me to stop. I felt just the same after my own mother's death when my father mentioned her. I can't blame them. It's the way boys are. I sometimes think that shame, mere awkward senseless shame, does as much towards preventing good acts and straightforward happiness as any of our vices can do, and not only in boyhood. Um, well, that reminds me of a whole bunch of things, so I might be talking a bit. Uh, my father had a very good friend who is no longer with us, and this, uh, this, this man died of prostate cancer. It metastasized and eventually died of the complications. And what he found is he says in the hospital, he said to my father, when, when you're dying, people stop being, wanting to be near you because to them you are death, or at least you, you start symbolizing death. And, and this is actually, I mean, that we're reading this episode tonight. So we, we just had friends over um, and they're, they're our neighbors. Uh, the woman of the couple uh, last December lost her husband to throat cancer, uh, complications of throat cancer surgery. And he passed away very quickly. Mm. After that, like in, in two weeks, he was gone. Um, and she, she came over with her boyfriend. She has a boyfriend now. They've been dating for a short time. And they met on a dating site, online dating site. And in December, he lost his wife. Um, he was sitting with her and she said, uh, Jan, uh, 
his name Jen. Uh, he said, Jen, I, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And she collapses and she's gone. And we just, we, we talked about another woman who we meet at church who just found her husband dead in bed. And they say the same thing. People are afraid to talk to you. They, they stay away from you. They are worried that they can't really ask you, how are you doing? Um, yesterday, a friend of us was over, Rian, uh, and her husband, just he was cooking food and just collapsed, gone. There was nothing they could do. It was just massive heart attack, gone. And this, he used to brew beer for the hobby, and so did I before I wasn't able to drink beer anymore. But when he died, he still had a beer fermenting in the fridge in his uh, fermentation chamber. So I said, okay, we, we, were at, we, had, we, we were, had been at the cremation and we were over at our house to kind of see what to do with all his, his stuff. And I said, how about I put this beer in a bottle, see if I can salvage it, and then maybe we can turn it into something like uh, a memory ale, and then we can kind of toast to his memory. And so she was over yesterday to bring one of the beers to see if it worked out. And thankfully it turned into a wonderful beer that maybe his coworkers at, 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 his, at his work can drink or his family. Or It was nice to be, to be able to be a part of that. But what, what, what I asked her, Rian, how are you? And you notice that that she, she didn't think you really wanted to know, but I wanted to know, like, how are you? What's on your mind? What do you think about? Is it getting better? Yep. But it is just, the more I, I get into all this religious thinking and, and, and the, the, the other and the face of the other and, and the dialogue and that you, you need to be able to talk about this. I mean, Lewis just wrote about it because he notices people don't want to talk about it. And, and I'm just having a conversation with my, my neighbors and we're just talking about it and it's horrible and it's sad and it's terrible memories that will never leave you, but you need to talk about it. And, and then I, I, I was looking to see which paragraph we were on tonight. I'm like, oh man, this is so, this is so that. It it makes me think um, like there's a, there's a temptation that one might have who's experienced loss to think all the things that I'm thinking, uh, you wouldn't want to hear them anyway. You wouldn't want to hear what I have to say, the things that I am, you know, wrestling with, the things that I'm pissed off about, the things that I am, you know, I might just cry, you know, right here for the next 10 minutes straight and it'll be very awkward for you. Don't want me talking about this. And um, there is some truth in depending on who you're around, you know, they really don't want to hear it. But I, you know, people like you, Job, and I think people who are interested in the types of conversations that we're having or the people who keep coming back to this series to hear us talk about this, I think are the ones who, you know, if they, if they would brace themselves for it, would want to create that space for somebody to, to be able to talk that way, you know, and 
Um, I just I just feel like that's what people who are seeking meaning on the on the channels that you know we've been watching and the conversations that we've been having. Like I I I just sense that there's this tendency of people are hungry for. Well, they're definitely hungry for meaning. We've we've been using that word quite a bit. Um, authenticity seems like too threadbare of a word, and I'm struggling for which word it is. But for realism, for reality, for you know, true revelation of person, the true revelation of the individual that you're that you're talking to, and where they are right now in their experience. And you know, I think the fact that Lewis's journal that he was keeping the fact that it got published and it's you know so many people have bought it there is there is a deep need in all of us to be able to hear and to express um our discomfort with and our absolute um the, the agony that we feel in the sufferings that are just thrown at us through this, you know, this human existence that we all share. And um, there's just one other point on this passage that I wanted to bring up. It doesn't really exactly link to all that. It's just more of a more of a footnote or a bit of trivia. That particular section where she, where he's talking about um, Joy's children, the boys. Um, one one of her sons um, has is a public figure, um, Douglas Gresham. Um, he was highly involved in helping to executive produce the Chronicles of Narnia films that came out in the, in the aughts. And he has actually referenced this part of Lewis's A Grief Observed before. You could probably find him talking about it somewhere out there on YouTube, so I won't get it exactly right. It's in my intro. Oh, is it in the intro? Okay. Yeah, I wrote a little bit about it. Yeah, so maybe, Caleb, you can talk about this a little bit better than I can. But he said, yeah, the way that um, Lewis was experiencing this and the way that he was perceiving what we were thinking, I think he was more projecting on us because that was not how we were or how I was viewing it in particular. Am I getting that right, Caleb? Yeah, do you want me to read it real quick? Yeah, if you don't mind. So he says... I have always wanted the opportunity to explain one small thing that is in this book and which displays a misunderstanding. Jack refers to the fact that if he mentioned mother, I would always seem to be embarrassed as if he had something obscene, as if he had said something obscene. Uh, he did not understand, which was very unusual for him. I was 14 when mother died and the product of almost seven years of British pre preparatory school indoctrination. The lesson I was most strongly taught throughout that time was that the most shameful thing that could happen to me would be to be reduced to tears in public. Mm. British boys don't cry. But I knew that if Jack talked to me about mother, I would weep uncontrollably and worse still, so would he. This was the source of my embarrassment. It took me almost 30 years to learn how to cry without feeling ashamed. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. That did way better than I remembered it. <laughs> it's interesting. My mom's actually a grief counselor. So, and she works uh, with like a palliative care and hospice work. So people who basically embrace death and are not trying to heal whatever, just be as comfortable as they can as they go to death. And 
Um, it's so interesting because in our culture, I, <laughs> I think because we don't have a lot of contact with death, it creates an uncomfortability. Like back in the day, you, you'd bury your own dead and you know, infant mortality was much higher. And so it was just not that normal thing, but now it's sort of, we've outsourced it. And so a lot of people don't know how to handle it anymore. And, you know, a lot of times there are things that we say to people who are grieving that are so well-intended that just hurt them more than we could ever say. Like, if, is, there, like is there anything I can do for you? Like, it's such a nice thing to say, but a lot of times, like, what do you, what do you think you can do? Like, what are you going to do? Or... Um, you know, trying to empathize with, I know how you feel. Like, how could you know how I feel? Like, you have no idea. And I think when it comes to talking about grief with children, a lot of times we try to use these, um, these niceties to talk about it. Like, you know, mom's in a better place. She passed away. And my mom always said, you can't do that with kids because they don't know what that means. Like, you have to tell them, you know, mom died. She's not here anymore. And nobody wants to do that because there is that feeling of like this uncomfortability or talking about it. But like to have kids healthily process that and realize that death is part of life, we have to be upfront about it. And I think we often take our own perceptions of how people are feeling, but I think um, it, it doesn't always correlate with the reality of what's going on inside people. I, I think the hardest thing is, it's like the man who just tells me that his wife basically died in his arms. There's nothing I can say. Mm -hmm. Nothing. No. I can listen. So I do. But what do you possibly say? My mom always told us, just say you're sorry. Don't say anything yeah. else. Just say, I'm yeah. so sorry. And, you know, and a lot of times when it comes to close people who are grieving instead of going on and trying to, what can I do? Just be there. Just go over and be there. And if you want to do something, just do it. Don't ask. <laughs> you know, if you want to make them a meal, bring it over and just be there. And when they're ready to talk about it, they will. But um, yeah, a lot of times we try, like, I think it's harder too with something that's so sudden because with at least hospice care, it's a process that they're already sort of working through before the death ever happens. Um, I mean, it's interesting as a, as a Christian, the idea of death, it, I think is not as overwhelming to me. Um, like my grandma passed maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and she, she had dementia for a long time. So she was already very confused, but she got cancer and sort of deteriorated really fast. And when she passed for me, like as much as I was sad that she was gone, there was also a piece of like, well, she's out of pain. And I do believe she's in a better place. And so even though there's that pain, there is like, I'm glad that she's gone. Um, because like, I don't, I don't think just prolonging that suffering would have been helpful for her. Mm. I wanted to add um, that that last paragraph, I think is pretty profound, just in general, like outside of grieving. Um, like shame does more to prevent good acts and straightforward happiness as any of our vices do. Um, 
it's just like a, a testament to fear of man and how powerful it is. Um, and authenticity is kind of a, a word that fudges, but uh, I said it, it cuts you off from, from authenticity and leaves you unable to express. And the inability to express is, yeah, very detrimental, um, which I guess we've been talking about in this one so far, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing to, to deal with. Um, that fear of man and, and being able to, yeah, embarrass yourself with your honesty. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of truth to that, even in the American culture of like, you're like, we want to put up the space of being okay. And everybody's like, it's okay if you're not okay. But like, <laughs> we don't really accept that. And um, yeah, I think there is a lot of having a battle with that of how do you go about and try to function when you can't Jeff, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine, but you lost your dad. Mm. Did you notice that people were afraid to approach you about that? I don't know. I don't remember noticing that at all. I was very fortunate in one sense um, because everybody who... Like everybody who was close to me that wasn't in my family just did unexpected, like they showed up. There are people who showed up to the funeral that I never, I wasn't expecting. It wasn't on my mind, right? And then just to see them there was just this rush of, um, it was just their goodness. I don't know any other word for it, but to see them there, you know, just to be there for the ceremony and just to know that they cared enough to show up, I didn't even realize that I needed that, but I mm. needed it and I got it. Um, the experience of people seeming like um, they were, I don't remember how you worded it, were scared to approach me or didn't know how to approach me. I mean, there's all, there was always the awkward, you know, people don't know what to say. The trepidation. Uh, yeah. They would say something and you knew that they were trying, hey, sorry about, you know, such and such. And be like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, I use humor a lot to just deal with problems. And so I'm almost, I was very tempted sometimes to just say awkward, you know, humorous things back to them. <laughs> but it never, it wouldn't have been appropriate. And they just would have, they would have felt bad if I had said it. And it wasn't something like cutting at them. It was almost something along the lines of, Ah, uh, it's okay. I don't miss him anyway, or something like that. Oh. You know, I'm just trying to get around, and they'd be like, "Dang, he's really messed up." <laughs> yeah, it's like anything but the awkward, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm just like, it just it just turned into a well, thank you, you know, I appreciate it. But and sometimes people would try. They would be like, "Well, are you, were you guys close?" And then that's where I would it would get into very difficult territory where it was almost like do you really want to step into this bear trap? You know, my dad, he, he, he was, he was an, he was a severe alcoholic, particularly at the end. And so I'd be like, yeah, 
<laughs> so this is what happened. And then, you know, then people are just left with, oh, wow, I really don't know how to deal with that. I thought I was okay. I thought I was, was just barely able to deal with saying, hey, sorry about your loss. But they asked the, the follow-up question, <laughs> were you guys close? And I, I'm, I would, an, I could, I'll answer it if you want me to answer it. But <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I would just, I guess I would just cautious people, caution, caution people, be careful what questions you ask. I think Cassidy's advice of I'm sorry, or like I said, my experience with other people who have had loss is if they're open to it and they're okay with a hug, a hug is fine. A hug is great. Um, if you are an emotional person that shows emotion, um, like I do from time to time, uh, I mean, I, if you feel like crying with the person, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as they don't seem to be turned off by it. I mean, if you can, if you can even just feel their suffering with them, I think that's okay. It's, it's not even that you have to show it. Um, but, uh, yeah. the, I, the last thing that I was going to say, Joe, I'm sorry about my experience is, um, as I mentioned before, you know, we, we felt like we lost my dad years before that. And so this was just kind of a final conclusion to everything where with my family around, I was able to have a lot of really good discussions and they were really good to me. Like my, my, just my, my close family, you know, they gave me the space to just be able to share things that I was frustrated about, to share questions that I still had. Um, there were a lot of things that I was able to learn about my dad through my family in those moments that I had never known before, you know, through that whole process of, of losing him and then going through the funeral arrangements and all the people that came who were parts of his life before I was even around that could give little, you know, pieces of the story. Um, it's, it's all just very helpful. It's almost like whatever you have that you can authentically bring to someone who's in mourning just have it at the ready, you know, just bring it and give it. And if they don't want it, they'll tell you, mm. you know, but um, I guess what I'd have to say about that is don't try to manufacture anything. That's not what's needed. It's just whatever you've got, give it. And if you don't have anything, then it's okay. You're not, <laughs> you're not, a, we're people who are going through mourning are not expecting you to have anything. At least I wasn't. It's, it's like, the, it, this is such all, this morning on the, the family uh, messaging group, my, one of my, I have a foster sister and her uh, uncle she was close to just died. She died, gone. So she says, oh, I heard this news. I just say, I'm, I'm sorry. And that's mm -hmm. all I can say because I didn't know the guy. And well, she lost somebody she cared for. The best I can do is say sorry. Mm. And, and as soon as I make it more, I'm just making it awkward. So, yeah. Uh, we're about half an hour in. <laughs> uh, probably time for the second paragraph. It's yeah. <laughs> a good idea. Um, or are the boys right? What would H herself think of this terrible little notebook to which I come back and back? Are these juddings morbid? I once read the sentence, I lay awake all night with toothache, thinking about toothache and about lying awake. <laughs> That's true to life. 
part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery shadow or reflection, the fact that you don't merely suffer, but have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. And not only live each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. Do these notes merely aggravate that side of it? Merely confirm the monotonous treadmill march of the mind around one subject? But what am I to do? I must have some drug, and reading isn't a strong enough drug now. By writing it all down, all? No, one thought in a hundred. I believe I get a little outside it. That's why I would defend it to edge. But ten to one, she'd see a hole in the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, my notes for this are the closest I think I can come to what Lewis feels is when I quit smoking. You daily go through the withdrawal, wondering whether you could ever feel normal again. Is love a form of addiction? Um, it's like I said, it's the closest mm-hmm. I can get because I never. Nothing I've experienced comes close to this. And if nobody has comments, where'd Cassidy go? Oh, there she is. I was just, I was just reading through it again. And, you know, you sometimes, do, I guess, have those, like, this isn't something that I experienced in my grief, but I just think it, his, um, his question is interesting. You know, am I, am I just prolonging this? Am I just making it worse um, by revisiting it over and over again? Um, I mean, I think, I think there is a time and place for everything. And... I think you you spend the time that you need on something until you don't need to <laughs> spend the time on it anymore, and that's that's probably you know what he what he did here. That's the only thoughts that I have on this. I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I would just say yeah, there's probably negative aspects to either extreme, whether just continuing to revisit it um, or just suppressing it and not thinking about it at all. Mm-hmm. Like neither of those are healthy. There's got to be a balance, but it's hard for us as humans to find that balance. Cause I think a lot of times we find it easier to live in extremes. So yeah. he's punishing himself for, for sort of wallowing in it. It seems like he thinks he's doing that. Sorry, Caleb, did I interrupt you? No, no, no. I was just going to say it's a, this, this paragraph is kind of the question that Tripp asked kind of when I first joined the group of the Pascal uh, paragraph versus the Lewis. um, It was early on in this becoming altogether dirty whatever that was but that that how do you respond to to things Uh, this this reminded me of that kind of thing of just like revisiting it over and over again and trying to work through it um not necessarily like doing something but like mentally doing something i guess 
So it's kind of a blend of the two. Yeah, it reminded me of that, that same question, um, like a third answer to it. I, I couldn't imagine how you couldn't keep going through over and over again. That just seems such a natural response to me. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody copes in a slightly different way. Like Jeff, when you were talking about making jokes and humor, that's definitely a way that I've, <laughs> I've seen just being around death and having that, it gives me a very dark sense of humor. <laughs> and like for a lot of people, that's just very offensive. But to me, I just understand it's a coping. And like, I'd rather laugh than just wallow in the pain. And um, I mean, I think there are plenty of people who they'll throw themselves into work or some other project to get away from the idea of thinking about what they've lost. They just, there's so many different ways that you can focus that energy. Um, I think it just varies from person to person. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I am reminded now that you, you, you mentioned that, that Jeff used humor. When, when we responded with the fire department to the hanging that turned out to be a firefighter from our own force, first thing we did back in the truck, jokes. It, it's the only thing we, we, we could. Like, you don't want to go, oh, oh, how horrible. That was just the most awful thing. You make a joke about the guy because, yeah, it's, it's. Yeah, I remember one time my, I've not, I haven't lost, I've lost grandparents, um, but like I've, I've never lost like a parent or anything, but my dad was in the hospital for like possible heart issues. And I remember just being in the car driving over to the hospital, our whole family cracking jokes and saying things that outside people be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but like, that was just us processing through it. And we were obviously all scared and didn't want anything to happen but like there was this sort of just this different perspective where like my mom will <laughs> she always pitches me like different sketches or stuff and like hospice related and just all of these really like bleak and like weird things that to us is just so funny because like it it lightens that whole darkness <laughs> But mm. for so many other people, they'd be like, what is wrong with you? I'm just reminded of, of my, uh, my grandmother, my grandmother's funeral of, of my dad's side. So my, my dad had a eulogy. I always pronounce the word wrong. Eulogy. Eulogy. That's it. See, I did it wrong again. <laughs> I, I always get it wrong. And my wife always corrects me. Okay. Anyway, it's eulogy, but it reads different. Anyway, um, so my father had a the thing, and uh, he said my mom, my mother would always say that I was a bit of a strange man, and of course that's not true at all. But like, and he says that in a kind of a deadpan way, it made the entire church laugh because yeah, but that's a grandmother. She had a long life. She she just. She just passed away from Alzheimer's when she was very old. And I just remember even the last day when she was sitting in her bed and she was already all dehydrated and she was pretty much gone. 
she was still laughing and making jokes in her state of mind that she was in because she would sometimes know who you were but sometimes she wouldn't and i remember we were just making jokes even though we were crying at her bedside and that's just humans are so strange in that regard but well, even, that's what, even, sorry all right i was saying that's what comedy is right it's just therapy that you put out on a stage that's why you know so many comedians are depressed mm -hmm. uh and and my my mom's side grandmother and she my mom come from a came from a family of nine kids and she just she was still walking around in her late 80s just doing her morning walks and she had hand strength she was just crush her hand if she shook it <laughs> and she said you know she's kind of her heart started to give out and she just said to the doctor you know it's time to get the family in here so the entire family gathered and then she she, she just lived on and she was kind of annoyed because she was looking forward to meet grandpa mm. but she just kept on living for another week and then she passed but I don't know. I'm just on my talking chair because I get so many memories coming in now. But my my grandfather was a painter. He he had his big painting shop and he made portraits. And, and so when my grandmother was in her coffin, the entire family, so nine children and all the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, we all painted our hands and they would put a handprint on the coffin. So we ended up having this beautiful coffin just full of all sizes and colors of handprints in front of the church, and I just an entirely packed church and yeah and and then you also make jokes after the the procession even though it's all sad man that's just yeah i i, ne <laughs> I never thought when i had the idea of hey let's do a book reading that all this sort of things would be that's <laughs> kind of beautiful. yeah that's a neat story I think that's uh, what I found find so interesting about death, where it's this very dark thing, but there is sort of a hope in that, in some senses, or like a joy um, for some people. I don't think for everybody, but I I know for people that I've lost very suddenly, it it woke me up in a way that you know, like wow, you, life is short, and you don't know how people are really doing, and just it gives you a lot more clarity about where you're going and gets you out of this rut of just being like, go with the flow. It gives you this intentionality and as, as awful as it is and as painful as it is, you know, there is that part that is so beneficial for people, but not, not easy to hear when you're in the middle of it where you're like, mm. how could this be good? But, um, you know, I think give yourself some space, you can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I noticed by of myself, I'm, I'm kind of start, I'm kind of starting to prepare for one of my parents dying. My siblings thinks that think that's weird, but it's not really something I do consciously. But for instance, I wrote a poem about my dad recently, mm -hmm. which was mainly a, it's, it's basically a eulogy. Eulogy. Darn. Here you go. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote that thinking about who, what would I say? How can I be the man at my father's funeral? As Peterson would say, what would I say? 
what could I possibly say about my dad? And then you start thinking about it. I'm like, oh, he makes all these noises. And that's how that became. But I don't think I can be in any way prepared, even when it happens. Like, oh, yeah, I wrote this thing down. Yeah, my, it's still going to be painful. And it's still going to be horrible. And Well, my mom couldn't even talk at her mom's funeral. She wrote something and had my sister present it because she just couldn't do it. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, you're never going to be prepared. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've shared it with you before, Joe, but I I delivered one of the eulogies at my dad's funeral. My you know, mm. other family members got up and talked as well. But um, for me, that was, that was a big part of the closure. You know, there was no way that I was going to go there and not say something. And, you know, there were, there were some difficulties over the you know course of our relationship, and there were some people in my family who were wondering if I was gonna uh, use it as a as a platform to um, maybe say some <laughs> some hard truths uh, yeah. and maybe even say some things you know that I would regret. But um, it, it was ultimately very cathartic for me and. You know, I don't, I don't think I said anything in there that was harmful or uh, inappropriate for the moment, um, you know, but I, I was able to work through um, just some, well, just to sit down and, and think through what I was going to say and then actually to, to get it all written out and then to deliver it um, to everybody. You know, I don't know if it, People came up to me and said that it, it meant a lot, but I I know that it, it helped me um, quite a bit to be able to to say what I needed to say to be able to get out a lot of and 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 my father and I had um, you know there was there was a time where we had for maybe for lack of a better definition you know we had we had somewhat what of an estrangement in our relationship for a while, but um, a couple of years before he passed away, we were able to to reconnect and rebuild um, some bridges that were honestly burnt. <laughs> and, you know, I talked I talk about, I talked about this in my eulogy, but I, I just felt, a, I felt a, a prompting um, at one point when my dad was still around um, and I hadn't talked to him in years you know, I, I would see him like on Father's Day or maybe on his birthday where I'd go and, you know, take him out to lunch or something like that. But, but I just didn't ever talk to him. And I started to feel this prompting. And what I, what I told people in the eulogy was, you know, some of you might call it the Holy Spirit. You might know this prompting as the Holy Spirit to just start up a dialogue with him on my commute into work every morning. You know, and he was far retired. He was retired by then and was just at home all day. And so I just call him in the mornings on my way into work and we just started, we just started talking and um, I don't know. I, I just felt like uh, things were good between he and I at that point. And then, you know, the talk, life kind of um, got busy and other promptings came along. And so I wasn't able to continue to have those, you know, morning conversations and stay with him. But, 
I think we were able to just establish, you know, the fact that um, we cared for and we loved each other. And um, I'm, I'm just really thankful uh, that if you want to keep it in the, in the Christian context, which I will, because that's my, I'm out of. I'm just thankful to God that God nudged me and said, "Hey, I want you to start talking to Him again. I want you to open up this conversation." And He was just delighted, you know, that I was calling Him and talking to Him each morning. It was just very meaningful to Him. And I was even in those conversations. You know, I talked about how after He passed, I was able to learn things about Him that I didn't know. In those conversations, He started telling me stories about his life that I'd never heard before. And I was able to, to start, you know, sharing struggles in my life with him at the time. And I was even able, he was able to tell me about, you know, just some of the problems that he was facing then. And I was able to give him advice. I was able to, you know, be an advisor and a counselor for him. And so, um, I don't even know why I started talking about all this, but (laughs) something you said, Cassidy, just reminded me of it. Um, but it was it was a wonderful gift that I got. Um, just this, you know, if you want to look at it in a pure secular frame, it's just this idea that popped in my head that I never other that I never feel like I would have intentionally gone and sought out and said, "Yeah, call your start calling your dad. I want you to do it each day." It, it wasn't something that I thought was me that was just coming up with that idea, but it was it was a gift. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting hearing you talk about some of the stories that you got to hear that you've never heard before because I I definitely felt that when I lost my, my grandma. I'm like, there's so much history that's mm-hmm. just gone now that I'll never know. Um yeah, that's, that's just the interesting part of, you know, death. And especially now we have more ability to capture those things and those histories than ever before yet. Like we lose so much of it. And it's, it's crazy to think that once that's gone, it's just gone. Um. I'm not sure if we can get in another paragraph. I mean, we can read it to kind of see what we end up with. We yeah, go about. All right. Yeah. I don't. Joe, do you have a hard stop? Do you want to get out of here right on time? No, no, I'm good. I've got. I mean, I could go for a couple more minutes, just one more round, if everybody else is okay with that. Yeah. Okay. It isn't only the boys either. An odd byproduct of my loss is that I'm aware of being an embarrassment to everyone I meet. At work, at the club, in the street, I see people as they approach me trying to make up their minds whether they'll say something about it or not. I hate it if they do, and if they don't. Some funk it altogether. R has been avoiding me for a week. I like best the well-brought-up young men, almost boys, who walk up to me as if I were a dentist, turn very red, get it over, and then edge away to the bar as quickly as they decently can. Perhaps the bereaved ought to be isolated in special settlements like lepers. Lewis. Yeah, here my own notes are just about my father's friend and how, how they see dead men walking, basically. I think this, this is 
how this started this this episode yeah and the, the kids at least sort of have the the the, the gall or not the gall the guts to do it but yeah, they feel the obligation. They've just got to get it over with. And I, I do remember getting the sense of, of some people, not that they didn't want to, but it's just like, oh, I feel like I got to say something. And so they did. And, you know, we checked the box in order to, you know, and I, I even appreciated that too. So, but yeah, it just reminded me of that there are, you know, there is that, that um, inclination that people have, which is like, I got to say something. I can't say nothing. You know, it's not, it's in, it's not human to not see, to see someone in pain and just, you know, the, the parable of Jesus just pass by on the other side and not do anything for this person, yeah. you know, lying there in the ditch in pain. <laughs> yeah. Caleb, were you going to say something or was I misreading? Um, no, I, I think it's, he frames it as if like he's trying to, to spare society from, the people that are going through experience like him. Yeah. But it's also kind of a selfish thing. I feel like as well, that he's like wants to be in this corner settlement you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. You don't want to be seen as a dead man walking. I mean, but you also can't take death out of society. It's like, that's what the Buddha's father did. Look how dead I ended up. So that's not the proper approach. Hey, Joe, unless Cassie, you have a thought, well, hold it for just a second, but I'm just looking ahead. There's just one more small paragraph that adds on to this. Would you mind reading that part? Because I really like it. The next one? Yeah. Oh, that's a long one. Uh, I must have my paragraphs different. Oh. Uh, I'll, read, I'll read what I have. First, embarrassing a death. It says, to some, I'm worse than an embarrassment. Or did you already read this? No. Okay, to some, I'm worse than an embarrassment. I am death's head. Whenever I meet a happily married pair, I can feel them both thinking. One or the other of us must someday be as he is now. Yep. Yep. So it's almost like, you know, I, I want to be off in that leper colony. Caleb, I thought you'd bring up a good point that for selfish reasons, but then he's, it's like he's getting hit from both sides. It's like, I want to, I do want to spare people too, because, you know, I selfishly, I don't like this. I don't like causing this problem <laughs> for this married couple. So I do want to spare them that as well, because I don't want to, I don't want them to go through it. I have some stories that I, I struggle telling people now. Um, now that stuff has kind of changed. Because um, it it's a similar thing of like it can bring out uh, either like fear or, yeah, some kind of existential fear. And, yeah, I don't want to or like feelings of, of self-inadequacy or whatever. Um, and I don't want to instill that. And so like, I'd rather just not go there at all, mm. but it's a beautiful story or it's a, you know, it's a powerful story or something like that, but it's, it's uh, heavy as well. Yeah. Just, just plug in the podcast for a second. Check out Caleb's story on the podcast. On yeah, the that's, meeting. 
some of it. <laughs> you can link to it in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, it's interesting. Wanting to be of value and then wanting to not be of detriment, I guess. I, th I, think, it, I think there's a lot of truth in the wanting to isolate yourself. There is some selfishness to that. I think just being around church communities, you don't want to be broken, even though that's what church mm -hmm. is supposed to be, the place where you can go and be broken. But like there's a lot of pride in that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you what's going on. Um, but then there, yeah, I was talking to a, one of my mentors about this the other day, not, not about grief, but just, uh, you know, loss of any sort of capacity and how a lot of times the best thing that we can do as like a community is to push in and get more involved. But often in our culture, we have the tendency to step back and give them more space, which is not necessarily what they need. Like you need those people who are going to get in your business and force you to do the thing you don't want to do. Um, and I, I think, yeah, she was just, um, cause we were talking about, you know, whether loss of relationships or divorces where a lot of couples will, or even if the marriage stays, like if there's infidelity and they, they figure it out, they'll usually switch churches just because the idea of these people who know you so well, having to see you in this new way is just too hard. And so they'll switch. I don't know. I don't know if that adds to anything. Hmm. No, that's definitely something I'm going to ponder on after this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough too. I think I've just, since, because I, I don't know how much y'all know my story, but I've always been a Christian, but I spent a lot of time out of the church and then sort of gotten back in. And when I sort of started getting back in, I was at a pretty low place and having to be like the lowest you are at a new, <laughs> at a new community and try to plug in, it's just the worst feeling in the world. Mm. But like, just having to push through because I know it's the right thing to do is just, uh, it's just such a battle and you're fighting that, uh, you're fighting that every day. I, I think I still fight it even though I've at a better place and I'm much more secure and easier at letting people in and see all of the mess. Um, there's still that fight where you don't want it. <laughs> It also depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a person who definitely likes to be have it all together and not seem weak, and so I mm. think that <laughs> having to be that. Although there, like when I see other people be weak, like there's a I see a strength in that a lot of times. But when it comes to myself, I don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, I can't do that. But if I see someone else cry in public, I'm like, oh my gosh, how brave, <laughs> how strong are you? <laughs> like if I do it, I'm like, oh, idiot. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Cassidy, you will be telling your story on the podcast. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm just excited. To, I, I don't know. I haven't listened to many of the conversations on the Discord that you have done, but I, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your whole journey too um 
<laughs> yeah, I can't really be interviewing myself on a podcast. It'd be stream you talking to me. <laughs> so we we briefly talked about this, Joe. We need to we need to have me interview you and you interview me for the podcast. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be crying. <laughs> <laughs> that makes Perfect. you strong. That's what Cassidy said. It makes you strong. Yeah. Uh, I I think we're kind of coming to the conclusion of part four. And uh, yeah, this is this is this is a pretty intense episode. Yeah, I guess but, that's what people keep tuning in for. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the comments keep blowing me away. It's yeah, just the way people engage with Rando's reading, it's just yeah. <laughs> I love that you guys use that term, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. We haven't. Uh, I haven't had a chance to publicize this yet. But this is—I um, stole randos from one of, from Cassidy because she used really? it in her first first conversation with Paul. I want to say uh, she said, um, "I have to find it. I'll, I'll post it out on the Discord because I did a I did a breakdown of where randos came from and where conversation the Z and conversations come from." Because I look forward to that I, one. That was that was Mary, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm like I learned from Paul to steal things. So I stole <laughs> from Cassidy and I stole from Mary for the randos <laughs> and for the conversations. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely! <laughs> Such a great community we got. <laughs> All right. Well. Thanks, everybody. I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Get some, get some sleep, Joe. You've got church in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's a start, <laughs> it's a starting Sunday of the season, so it's a whole thing. And oh wow, yeah, yeah they still mm-hmm. haven't found out who I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, none, none have the, or neither have the rest of us. So we're, oh, yeah. we're all together. I can be cagey. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Sorry, I got to stop the recording. Here we go.